Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the 31st episode of Why Are People Into That? The podcast that doesn't have very good self-control. I'm your host, Tina Horn, and my guest this month is Ariel Greenberg, who taught me all about fetishistic indulgence. And where better to indulge than at smittenkittenonline.com? Sex toy retailer extraordinaire Smitten Kitten is the exclusive sponsor of this podcast. They continue to offer a special discount to wire people into that listeners. Visit smittenkittenonline.com and enter the code Y, that's W-H-Y, during checkout to get 20% off your order. As some of you know, I've been toiling behind the scenes of the new sexuality-themed publishing imprint, 3L Media. We're finally starting to put out books. Genderqueer boundary breaker Jiz Lee has put together an unbelievable anthology called Coming Out Like a Porn Star, featuring wire people into that guests Connor Habib, Ignacio Rivera, and James Darling, in addition to 50 other porn stars and behind-the-scenes porn makers. And remember the episode Wire People Into Hair with Nikki Silver? Well, Silver has a photo book of naked hairy models cavorting in the sunshine, and the book is called Unshaven. I contributed a critical essay about feminism, body image, and California punk life to this book. Oh, and 3L also put out my nonfiction book about Bay Area escorts, pornographers, and fetishists. Love not given lightly. Don't forget my next book, Sexting, is out in January. And if you want to review it or interview me, hit me up for an advanced copy. My God, that's a lot of that's a lot of books. I hope you caught all that. So, stay in bed. Pour yourself another glass of single malt scotch. Eat the whole pizza and have another orgasm while you indulge in why people into hedonism. I came out of the subway and I just completely had that moment of being like, uh, 
you know, the, the old fantasy commute. Um, and then also like coming into this extravagant hotel and getting in that elevator and the fancy things and like not knowing you and meeting you in the lounge. I was like, oh, this is, this is nice. This is nice. This will probably always feel like this. Yeah. But we're not here for a session. We're here it's to true. talk about Unfortunately. <laughs> well, let me tell you, Tina, actually, no, um, uh, yeah, the hot wire, dude, I mean, get good deals in that hot wire. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are they paying you? <laughs> um, great. So, um, uh, so first of all, you are a poet and a professor. Um, and, uh, you, we met because you asked me to, to write for, um, your series on the rumpus.net, great literary magazine founded by Stephen Elliott, who was a guest on this podcast talking about submission. Um, and your, your series is called Kink Writing While Deviant. Yes. And there's two out right now, Janet Hardy and what is the other gentleman? Michael name? Broder. Right. That one about being a pig is just really, really good. And Janet Hardy's is kind of about being a, a switch, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, m- my piece is going to be out on there soon. And uh, tell me a little bit about the series and why you wanted to, to do that particular series. Sure. Um, well, so like you and like your amazing podcast, I mean, I just have a lifelong interest in why people are into the things that they're into. And um more and more I'm exploring this in my own writing and sort of as part of my professional career. You know, it used to be the thing I did on the side is kind of try to research the sexuality stuff, but more and more it's becoming what I'm writing about. And um, for the major conference in creative writing last year, I proposed, or this coming year actually, I proposed a panel on um, kink and writing. But the idea of it wasn't that it was going to be about, you know, people who wrote erotica or people who wrote about kink. There's plenty of that out there. That's wonderful. But really more about how a writer's own kinky sexuality informs their writing practice, how those two things intersect and overlap. I thought that was pretty fascinating to think about. Um, And so I proposed this panel and I put a call out there to see who would want to be on it. And I got so many people saying like, yeah, I'd talk about that. That's super cool. Um, Which was amazing. You know, people came out of the woodwork to talk to say I would I would totally be on that panel. And then the panel didn't get accepted. Um, I don't think, you know, that means anything. This this particular conference has like thousands of, Mm. you know, panels submitted and very few get taken. But um, because it didn't get taken, I thought, well, there's all these people now that I know who want to write about this. Yeah. I should see what I can do. So literally, I sent an email to Stephen Elliott, who I kind of know a little bit through mutual friends, and and I you know I know about him, and I know that he obviously runs a kink-friendly literary site. So I thought, yes. well, you know, what could be more perfect? And it, incredibly, sort of within the hour, um, they got back to me, and they're like, yeah, you can do that series. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of like, I mean, it's it helps that I'm a writer with a reputation, and you know that's that's great. But still, I was like, really, you're just gonna let me do a series on that? And they're like, yeah. How often do you want to do it? When do you want to start? You yeah, know? they're like, this is maybe just like a little bit part of our mission, right? Exactly. <laughs> this is maybe the rumpestiest <laughs> series you could have proposed. So um, I'm super grateful to the rumpus for letting me do this, and so. Uh, I have about a year's worth of columns lined oh up God. already, um, about one a month, 
And so the idea here again, and I feel like this is the hard thing to explain because I have gotten a lot of people writing to me and saying, oh, you know, I'm dominant, whatever. I'm really into uh, handcuffs. I want to write about, you know, I want to write you this erotica piece about handcuffs. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is about how your writing practice is like your kink practice in some way or your writing mindset is like your kink mindset. So, um you know, your pieces on irony mm. and kind of uses of irony in BDSM and in literary writing, that's perfect. Like, Michael's piece was about how um, submitting and sort of surrendering as somebody who enjoys bareback um, cum dump sex is like uh, kind of giving yourself over to the poetry muse. Yeah, he's like, I'm a pig for poetry. Yeah. Like, this, this is, it's so great. Yeah, it, it really, it couldn't, it also... Uh, coincidentally, like it couldn't be more up my alley. I was, I'm just, it's so excited, like for to to read everybody's essay. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really cool. And so, like one of the ones I'm really excited about that's coming up is a person who does um, literary translation mm. wants to write about how disappearing um, into a translation when she's working on a translation is like disappearing into subspace as a rope bottom. Oh. How she kind of like dissolves. And I was like, yes, that's that, yes. So that's the kind of thing that people are going to be writing about. Um, I have a really wonderful mix of folks lined up. I will say, if to listeners out there, um, funnily enough, like the contributors I most need for this right now are cisgendered men, specifically like hetero-leaning cisgendered men. They are not coming out of the woodwork for whatever reason. Um so if you are a writer of any genre, uh, nonfiction, poetry, fiction, erotica, um, self-help, journalism, playwriting, performance, whatever, um, some kind of literary writing, uh, and you're interested in writing about how that's like your kink in some way, that would be, you know, everybody should please get in touch with me. Um, but, you know, especially guys, <laughs> cis guys. <laughs> Don't you sort of feel like the history of... Western literature is maybe slightly sublimated version of what you're talking about. Not like yes. we, it would be nice to have somebody like have the nerve to talk about it more explicitly, but I, I, I do kind of feel like yeah. maybe they've they have other outlets for that and that's why they're maybe. Not coming to you. In my intro to the series I talk about DH Lawrence and James Joyce right. and Oscar Wilde and I'm like Okay, these were guys who clearly like let their kink in mm. like enter their writing right. and would it have been amazing to get them to write about that like directly. They couldn't have ever had that conversation. Right, exactly. Um, but so yeah, I do think that the sublimated repressed version is out there in the form of actual literature, <laughs> but not the kind of transparent conversation of where you're just like, So so this is what I'm into <laughs> <laughs> This is why I have all those novels with like this mother figure in them because I actually really think have a mommy thing or <laughs> Yeah, we we're like yeah, millions of English students are like, we know <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, where should people contact you if they are interested in uh, contributing to the series or learning more about it? Kinkwriting at gmail.com is the email for the series. You can also find me all over the web at Ariel Greenberg, and you can, you know, message me on Facebook or um, my email is findable through my website. Um, but kink writing is the one specifically for this. Cool. And um, it's the rumpus.net. It's the rumpus.net. Yeah. And uh, kink writing while deviant. If you do a little search for that, you'll come up with the ones that are cool. up so far. And what's your URL for your website? Ariel Greenberg.net. 
Cool. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to the subject at hand. We talked about a lot of different possible subjects for today. It turns out you have a lot of very (laughs) dirty things on your mind. Um, But what we settled on is why are people into hedonism? And I would love for you to talk about what that means to you. Yes. So first of all, it doesn't mean the swinger resort... (laughs) <laughs> which called heat called hedonism oh or, I you know yeah <laughs> um sometimes when I say that or if I even like you know put it on a badge or something I'm aware that that might read otherwise which that's also cool but um uh yeah so and I'm particularly into other people's hedonism which is okay. like even more complicated but uh for you know I would say that as a sexual identity the idea of being a hedonist is that you get off on indulging your own sensual pleasures mm. so that can be uh in you know touch and sex itself or um in food or in drink or in kind of luxurious living in some way or another basically kind of going a little over the top um mm. to give yourself pleasure in various ways cool so sort of a like Bacchanal of exactly. the of the senses. Yes. Cool. So tell me about what you mean when you say that you're into other people's hedonism, maybe more than your own. Yeah. Or that your hedonism is other people's hedonism. Right. Well, so I would say that for me, and I think there are other fetishes out there that are kind of like this. Part of the um, idea behind it is that you don't let yourself do this right you get to watch you watch other people do this so in that way it's like a little bit similar maybe to like a cuckolding mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. cuckweening thing where you're like oh I don't get to have that thing but I get to watch my partner have that thing mm-hmm. and that's what's hot to me is sort of the self-sacrifice and the other person's indulgence so um for me like very explicitly I am not and I think this is part of like the why for me is I am somebody who's pretty uh, likes to be in control um, who right. likes to uh, be pretty moderate in what I do and responsible and um, those are in my nature anyway like that comes easily to me but also it really doesn't feel good to me to be out of control in those ways interesting um, I don't enjoy that feeling it makes me feel a little crazy uh, and not in a good way so, but I think that's part of why other people, like, really letting themselves have what they want is so kind of exotic and erotic and enticing to me, because I'm like, wow, what would that be like? You know, I'm pretty uh, strict with myself. So you're voyeuring on other people's mm-hmm. indulgence. Voyeuring, but also um, m- more actively participating as an encourager. Okay, and or enabler. Enabler, <laughs> right. right. So in the gaining community, which I would say my fetish has a lot of overlap with, although, you know, it's not quite the same thing, they're, you know, like the the fetish is gainer slash encourager. You can either be on the receiving end um, as somebody who, you know, is eating and gaining weight, or, or you can be on the encourager end and you're somebody who tells some helps somebody else gain and encourage. And there are definitely people on both sides of that slash, and the encouraging people get just as much out of it as mm-hmm. the gaining people. Like, their fantasy world is huge around that. So I would say, yeah, like I'm an encourager for all these different kinds of hedonism. And in, in, you know, uh, 12-step parlance, that would make me an enabler. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, um, but it's consensual, so it's not, 
enabling or codependency. <laughs> right. And it's, I would say that that's kind of the uh, emotional edge play aspect of it that's right. really like interesting and hot to me is that it, 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 it like comes right up to that line, right? So oh, it's very, it's, it's dangerous. It's genuinely dangerous. But also I would say like, you know, I'm responsible about it. So I would never encourage somebody to do something that is genuinely bad for their health or like if I felt like my partner really was having problems with addiction or alcoholism Mm -hmm. we would get on that right away like it's because I feel like I know that he actually has good boundaries around that stuff that I can play with like oh you should have another drink you know yeah (laughs) oh my god it's so interesting so it um part of what I feel like I'm hearing from you is that you're sort of playing with fire in this territory of um, of understanding people's psychological desire to let go or lose control and you know we all to a certain degree have to have our own boundaries with ourselves and our own amount of uh, self-denial or self-control um, but to have somebody else give you permission to push yourself. I can, uh, so I'm imagining myself as like the person that you, um, or, or that as somebody with your fetish, um, would be encouraging. And that because maybe it would be something that I don't feel comfortable giving myself permission yeah. to do for lots of psychological reasons that we could unpack. But if somebody else who I trust gives me that permission, then I can let loose and enjoy it more fully and completely because it kind of turns off that voice in my head that says, this is bad. You shouldn't do this. You know, it's almost, it's, it's nurturing in a way. And it's also sort of service submission in another way, because I'm like, you get to have the power of giving yourself these things. I'm encouraging you to step into that, space, right, of power, where you get to give yourself these things that maybe you would worry about or feel guilty about otherwise. Right. Um, Yeah, you're kind of relieving people of these horrible um, influences of guilt, shame. Yes, yes. And so I would say in that way, one of the reasons I, I don't call myself, like, an encourager, like, in the gaining community necessarily, or, you know, consider myself, like, a feeder in that way is because what I've seen because I spend a lot of time in the in like the outlets for those communities because it is the most um, mm. close overlap. So I can totally get off to that material. But a lot of that material is about forcing somebody to do something right. past the point that they want to, or um, or past the point where it's pleasurable for them. Like there's a lot of gaining porn that's about like oh I feel really sick now or mm. like I really you know. I really can't move or like whatever it is and not, and they don't enjoy it. Right. And for me, like the reason I would call it hedonism, the difference I would say there, like the distinction there is that hedonism is about someone's pleasure. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's like drunk to the point where they're feeling not well, right. like that is not erotic for me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only when they're like, I feel really good that I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that gets me really excited. So, um, and and I would say like this so this works for me with sex too. So if somebody's like, Oh, I really wanna fuck that other person mm. 
and that would feel really good to me. I can also get off in that in the same way. And I think part of what all of these behaviors have in common is that they are socially taboo, like right. genuinely risky in the world of saying like, it's not okay for your partner to be like, oh, there goes somebody really hot. I want to fuck them, not just you. I want to go fuck them. Right. And to be like, yeah, you should do that, honey. Like, <laughs> you should go fuck that other person. That would be fun for you. Um <laughs> Or to say, like, I already had a donut. I, maybe I should, you know, I kind of really want another donut. And for you to be like, yeah, you totally should have that other donut. Um, so those are things in our culture that we are taught not to say to our partners for the most part, right? Right. So that's part of, I think, the, the taboo is certainly part of it for me. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my gosh. There's so there's so much um, uh, to unpack here. Um, I love it. So, um, so tell me... Uh, give me like another sort of porn or erotica scenario um, in which in which an enabler or we, maybe we can come up with a better word than <laughs> enabler or encourager because it does sound like that's specifically attached to um, uh, feeding and, and gaining community. Maybe we what we need to do is like come up with a yeah. new name for it. How do you identify? Um. I identify first and foremost as a fetishist because the mm. other thing I would say, which we can talk about, is that like this has been in me since I before I, you know like since as long as I can remember. I was yeah, right. masturbating to orgasm to the stuff at five. So can you give me <laughs> can you give me a, an example of a scenario that like now would be like a masturbatory fantasy that is a part of this fetish? Sure. Well, I can talk about stuff from when I was a kid, too. So, like, I I think it's fascinating, and other fetishists also think it's fascinating how much of this, um, how much fetish material is in children's cartoons. <laughs> and I never know if that's because, like, they are getting at our deepest kind of id stuff, right? right? Or, like, cartoonish, you know, extremes of behavior, and that is often what fetishists like. But, you know, rope people will tell you, like, oh, my God, there's so many people being tied up in children's sure. cartoons. Like, to the train tracks and stuff. Yeah. Totally. Or spanking. You know, there's spanking machines in Betty Boop cartoons and, like, all of these things. Yes. Um, so, similarly, for me as a kid, Hansel and Gretel cartoons. Oh. Um, so, where the... And I know that that's... That's not quite it, right? Because she's, like, going to eat them at the end. But... Um, <laughs> and there are people who are into that, but I'm not one of them. Um... That, uh, you know, where the, where the kids are like, she's not, she's she's encouraging them to eat all this bad stuff. Right. But they're also like, yeah, like we're kids, like totally we'll eat like all the candy. And well, she's like, trying to fatten them up. She's right? trying to fatten them up. Right. And, but there's something about the fact that they're not resisting. Like they're like, yeah, 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 I want that. That mm. was really hot to me as a kid. The hottest scene for me <laughs> in some ways I think as a kid was in um, the animated movie of Charlotte's Web. Uh... Templeton the rat goes to the fair and um, totally overdoes it. So he eats like all the garbage at the fair and then he actually, so one of my big things and again one of the reasons I'm not, I don't feel as strictly part of the gaining community is because I it's equally hot to me for someone to drink too much as it is for someone to eat a little too much. Yeah. Um, and he like basically dives into a pitcher of beer that's left over and comes up stumbling and like visibly drunk but totally enraptured right. like he's proud he's like 
his stomach is his distended, stomach is distended. I and remember he's that. Dr- like drunk, and he's like, "This is the best night ever," and I don't give a shit, right? And that. I was just like, oh my god, <laughs> this is all my things. You know, as a kid, I was, I, I mean, still to this day, it's an animated cartoon about a rat, and I can totally get off to that. Um, <laughs> and it's really just about the, like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want, mm. and because um, it's going to feel really good to me, and I don't care, and at the end of the night, I'm going to be, like, proud as hell that I just did that. I'm not going to feel ashamed or guilty. He comes back to the other animals at the fair, and he's right. like, I had the best night, and they're like, you're disgusting, and he's like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. Yep. I'm fucking disgusting. Yeah, and he doesn't even think of it that right? He doesn't even say I'm disgusting. He's like, no, I, I like, did it up. No, I'm the shit. I'm the shit, right. <laughs> I found Found the party, right? That none of you guys were having. Right. Well, somebody. Did, that's the other thing that's hot about it. Actually, is um, the goose or whoever it is tells him before he goes off. He doesn't know. He's like, I hate being at the fair. It's so boring. I don't want to like hang out with Wilbur anymore. <laughs> and the goose or whoever is like, Oh, you don't know. Like when the fair closes at night, it's it's a rat's paradise. There's oh food and like things everywhere. And he's like, What? And they're like, yeah, dude, you should go check it out. And he's like, oh, my God. So he, there's also this moment of someone encouraging him and mm-hmm. him getting excited about it, which is also really hot to me. <laughs> it's interesting to imagine also the role of that in that story. <laughs> I can't remember if that actually happens in the E.B. White I think book. there's a little scene of it, but this is a musical number. Sure. Also voiced by Paul Lind. Oh, so. <laughs> Oh my god, I forgot that too. But, you know, I mean, the rest of the story is, um, in a way, a not a morality tale, like a sanctimonious morality tale, but it is about integrity and self-sacrifice. and It is, but I think it's also about animals being animals, which I would say is a huge part of my fetish. Right. So, like, you know, Charlotte dies because that's what spiders do. Like, E.B. White isn't interested in telling a story about animals not acting like themselves. Right, right, right. Like their natures. So even in the way that they're anthropomorphized, it's along the lines of what animals' personalities actually are. Right. So, I mean, Wilbur's like, he's still a pig. Like, you know, yeah, (laughs) we don't have to get so deep into Charlotte's Web, but I think that the idea that, like, yeah, you're a rat and this is what rats like to do, so that's what he's gonna do is, is, you know, in the book and definitely then kind of, like, writ large in the movie. (laughs) Which is mostly gay men, though, of course. Right, in the gaming communities. Well, there's a lot of straight men who are who are encouragers of women. Yeah. But, I mean, the gaming community is large. Like, most of the erotica is, is, is gay, male. That's interesting. I, I don't think I actually knew that. Oh, yeah. I sort of have an idea of gaining um, that... I, I, would, I would actually love to talk to more folks who are involved in the gaming community and are uh, doing it ethically and yep. consensually because I am realizing that I totally have a prejudice of it in my head that probably comes from some like dateline uh, late yeah. night thing about it where like the image that I have in my head is of men exploiting women and right. that is like <laughs> the opposite of right. of my like ideology about everything that has to do with sex that like if we have an idea that 
of fetishes about men exploiting women, we probably don't understand it as well as we could. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah I w- I, I'm so interested to learn more about it. And you were yeah. saying that it's... Uh, it's really big in the gay male community. Yeah. I also like Yeah, well, so you know, like, the bear community, obviously. Sure. So, I mean, I think just generally it's a body type that has a lot of cachet in the gay male community. I can talk about this stuff on, like, on this shoot, too. But, um, but I think also the idea of, like, indulging yourself in sure. behavior is, like, something that's really understood in that community more in some ways. And so, yeah, yeah it makes it stands to reason, but... Well, so speaking of gay men and speaking of pigs, <laughs> um, when you were talking to me about this idea of hedonism, and I was kind of trying to think about where else this um, this concept had arisen in um, in all the things that I know about um, sexuality, it did make me start to think about the concept of a pig, which is one of the essays from your right. series, um, uh, and also just a subject that has always been really interesting to me, and then lately I have been really enjoying more the idea of what identifying as a pig or being called a pig can give I'll speak for myself and say what it can give me permission to acknowledge about myself that I just want to roll around in the things that people find disgusting. That, that That's what it is for right. me. It's like loving, like thinking that mud is the best and like wanting wanting to be dirty, wanting to just have like zero self-consciousness about body fluids and just opening yourself up to being used and yeah. um and, and yeah and not you know the like squeal like a piggy right. thing it's like right. let you know how somebody would think that that would be humiliating and saying like no that's not humiliating that's right. the thing that I want yeah I totally get that Are we- oh yeah okay, yeah great. we're yeah we're rolling again <laughs> yeah um so I, I totally get that, and I would say it's the other side of the coin, though, of what I'm into, because um, even if it's not about humiliation, I think a lot of, like, piggy play is about submission and pleasure and submission, mm. and I'm really interested in encouraging somebody from a position where they're in a position of power, and I'm in service to them mm, that by encouraging me. them. So I wouldn't, like, that term doesn't resonate as much with me because it's not something I would use for someone who was like in this position of power kind of over me where I was like, oh, you get to do whatever you want Mm -hmm. because you have all the power and I'm like here to please you in these ways. You were asking about like other scenes that feel erotic to me and I'll say as a kid also and, you know, still to this day, any scene, there's so many of them of like, the kind of cliche of someone reclining in a chaise and being mm-hmm. fed grapes, you know, from the yes. bunch and fanned with like a palm frond was super hot to me, which is the Bacchanalia. Like that's the image of Bacchus, right. right? And the whole idea of Bacchus, like the myth of Bacchus, this God who is about feasting and wine and being served with pleasure and like dancing women and who are like totally getting off. It was super hot to me. And the idea that, and you know, and then Dionysian too is, right, the, is exactly. the other, um, yeah, same, same. Um, part of the idea of that is the idea of having a god that you worship or an archetype um, like 
Bacchus-like uh, Dionysus that, that you worship is that for a specific period of time, you totally go nuts. Go there, yeah. And don't have... You, you like, lose control and, see, and, and experience that and see what that's like because you're part of that ritual, because you're part of that celebration. And then when the ritual is over, when the holiday is over, you are able to recognize that then having self-control again is good and, and like moderation is good the rest of the time, but you don't feel in my mind and in my experience, uh, then, then you don't always feel this like itch from repressing it all the time. You like let it loose and then you can go back to sort of an ordinary, sustainable pitch. Right, which is why, I mean, which I think is so fascinating about our ideas of the Roman Empire, right? That you would have these, you would have a, a very well-run uh, democracy or whatever, <laughs> and then you would have these feasts and orgies and rituals that allowed you to, like, go into your deepest animal self, right. and then you kind of come back to, you know, running a, a, that's a good That's the trick, right? But that's the fall of the Roman Empire, right? Is that then, then there was, like, Caligula, and there's, oh, yes. like, Nero, and there's the people who totally got out of control and never got it back to the they moderated didn't, thing. They didn't get it. Right. They weren't, <laughs> they didn't have good scene boundaries. Exactly. <laughs> No, it's it's it, it it's so fascinating to think about the the way that that power would corrupt mm-hmm. somebody like Caligula. Um, have you seen the Malcolm? I McDowell? have. I mean, I've got a big Malcolm McDowell finish too because even in Clockwork Orange, he's there's he's got that going on, right? Um, sure. So yeah, I've totally seen Caligula. Although it's unfortunately like. Uh, it goes a little dark. Like, that's the problem with all these things. Like, yeah. I love the beginning of Boogie Nights, too, because yeah. I love the, like, hedonism indulgence movie, but then usually it becomes, like, a lifetime special where it's like, yes. and then they hit bottom. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I just want to stop it before they hit bottom. Can we just have the, like, orgy well, they have, scene? They have to be punished. They have to be punished, right. Well, it's the same with Magic Mike. Have you seen the first Magic Mike? I turned it off because I was like, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> no, you were, you were correct to do so, it really is it yeah you can yeah i the first part of magic mike i feel like i've said this on the podcast before uh the first like hour of that movie when i the first time i watched it i was like i could watch this weekly and it's not just like the eye candy of the abs or anything like that i was like sex it's a positive movie about sex workers for one thing exactly you know and what's his name who plays the werewolf on true blood like at the sewing machine with this gold lame thong <laughs> like just everything about that i was like i could watch this over and over and over again um and uh and then yeah and then it, it does really become like oh well there's no way that you would actually like be able to go into this dark underworld what's behind the curtain without losing control to the point of addiction, which is actually something that you were talking about, where, like, it's about, um, I guess, to take a step back from from Magic Mike or Caligula or Boogie Nights and say, like, this really is a problem in our society that we we punish people, you know, in these stories. Yeah, we pathologize and punish people who want to indulge because we're not equipped to to teach ourselves and to teach each other common sense about boundaries. Totally. And that there's no way of going all out. Like, if you go all out, it's 
like step like point one step one is the point of no return and that's right. completely not true oh, yeah and I have so much to say about this but like so one thing I'll say is that it's first it's sometimes frustrating to me you know in the scene or in the community to meet people who will be beaten until they're black and blue or you know have medical play scenes where they're like bleeding like crazy and really are risking you know an ambulance coming or whatever and everybody's like yeah that's so cool that you just did that and if I talk about like so I want to encourage somebody to have another drink mm. or like can we talk about the emotional edge play of what it would mean to be like oh honey you should you should eat a little bit more high cholesterol food people are like what's terrifying you know like you just beat each other so that is fascinating to me I do think that we have um a lot of issues in our culture around uh that slippery slippery slope idea and it dovetails for me also with um I have a big problem you know as many people do in our community around this notion of sex addiction Mm. and I was specifically as we're talking about movies thinking about because you were talking about going into the dark underworld thinking about shame did you see oh my god like the the worst movie ever (laughs) it's a it's a Steve McQueen directed that movie yes it's so disappointing so and I'd read all these things about it beforehand and I was like oh this sounds you know it's about sex whatever I'll say I mean Michael Fassbender's Full frontal nudity yes. is. Yes. You know, we could just watch a gif of that sure. and then that would and be. And there's the actually best. a great scene with a sex with an escort in a hotel room in New York City, which is beautiful, um, or wherever they are. But the whole idea is like because he's interested in sexual pleasure yeah. and he's non monogamous, he's a fucking mess and he's like a psychopath. And that the scene at the end is like, and you know how he really, like, you know, he's really far gone is because he went to a gay orgy. I know. Like, I know. How? Like, he must be whacked out of his mind if he wants to have anonymous sex with men. Or, like, also that he... So he watches porn, and he He hires... Cam girls. Cam and cam girls. And he hires, like, a really responsible, high-class call girl. Yeah. So, clearly, the guy is fucked up. Like, what? No! Like, that's that's normal. And then he, like, like, uh, starts dating his co-worker, who is definitely... He has, like, a position of authority over her it's been a few years since i've seen it but yeah. but and and that's sort of that's fine played, but it's right. played that's it's played as fine. sort of uh, like yeah like tantamount to uh, to everything else. but yeah, but no exactly that it's kind of like oh well this might be the moment where he could be redeemed because healthy. this would be like healthy and normal but like actually that's the thing that shows that he has bad <laughs> right. boundaries right exactly totally and yeah I mean that movie is so upsetting to me for so many reasons but um, the whole idea that like if you look I mean as you know I'm sure as probably maybe many of your listeners know like there's nobody in the DSM like psychiatric world who will put sex addiction on the books as an actual thing. Right. Um, it's highly controversial, and I just and if you go to look at the definitions of sex addiction, uh, where they are, it includes things like thinking frequently about sex and <laughs> masturbating. Right. Um, it's insane. So I I really think that like yes, there are people who uh, don't know how to communicate in healthy ways around their sexuality, and there are people who you know, have a problem figuring out good boundaries. And there are people who, but none of that is addiction. (laughs) And none of that um, is sex addiction. And the idea that somebody would be thinking about sex a lot and finding ways to have consensual, pleasurable sex a lot is not a pathology. In fact, it's what we should all be striving toward. (laughs) Right. And the thing that also bugged me about that movie, Shame, is... 
first of all, the fact that it is called shame, right. kind of he's kind of showing his hand yep. with that, and um, and a movie that shows the way that shame cripples people, and that people feel shame for their sexual desire, even if their sexual desire is like uh, not. Uh, for, uh, you know, rape, not for uh, anything that would be harmful, t- truly harmful to themselves or others. Like, a portrait of that would be an extremely fascinating sure. thing to explore, but that's not the movie that's that the he movie. made. He's, it really feels more like propaganda. It almost. totally was. It was such sex negative propaganda. And we could have a whole podcast just about movies, but like, I'll <laughs> say I just watched um, The Sleepover. Oh, the overnight. The overnight. The I haven't overnight. seen it, but I have heard about it. Right <laughs> with Jason Schwartzman and yes, uh, um, Adam Scott and yes, yes, yes. So yet again, spoiler alert! Like basically, the message at the end of the movie. First of all, from the very get go, it was like they're setting this up to be a movie in which they go over to their friend's house, like these new friends' house, and maybe the friends are going to proposition them for swinging or like right. swapping. And I was like, I hope the movie's going to say more than that, right? Because that can't be that interesting to people. Like, that can't be, like, the whole crisis of the movie. But, in fact, it is. Right. What if your really hot, attractive, friendly, cool neighbors said, hey, want to have some consensual group sex with us? And that's the, like, that's, mind... That's, you know, that's the like mind-blowing. That's, like, the thing that, we're, that's that the critics reveal. are not talking <laughs> about when they're, like... And then something happens, and I'm like, is it something more than no, they... No, it's the thing that the movie sets you up for from the beginning, which also just, I mean, in my world, it's not that big of a deal, really. And, um, but then at the end... What is the spoiler is like the couple who have been exploring non-monogamy or are interested and open and open to it, um, come back to the like the you know the the protagonist couple who were like no 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 and they're like oh we're in, don't worry we're in therapy now Ugh. and the like no 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 couple who have been shown to have, like, a pretty fucked up relation, like, marriage, and that hasn't been going that well. Yeah. They're all like, oh, we said no to the swingers, so, like, look how good and happy we are. And now the, like, potential swinger couple has come to us, and who also make porn, by the way, like, really cool fetish porn in the movie, and the wife does some sex work. They came, and they're like, oh, we're in therapy now. And they're like, good, good. It's just so upsetting. It's so upsetting. And I was like, this is... This is even like what the indies are making. Like this is, oh, it's so upsetting. Anyway, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you 100. percent Um, and I and I think that it is important to talk about m- movies because these are our dreams. These are the stories that we are telling each other, and they say everything about what we think, and they say everything about what. I mean, I think movies control us, and I don't necessarily think it's, like, an insidious thing. Like, there is a department of the government that is, like, we need to make sure that we suppress swinging, so we're going to make this movie that is an (laughs) allegory for fear and shame. Um, But I I think it's, it's so ingrained in people that, you know, they might have their own shame about their own desires, and so then they're like, I'm going to make this story in which people say no to the scary sexual (laughs) indulgence thing and then come out on top so it's like their own uh their own their own fantasy yep yeah yeah Yeah. and so you know it's sort of like um 
kind of bring us back to like hedonism a little. I feel like they're it's the same as how Hollywood movies still uh, punish um, right the 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 body that does not conform to our right. standards of attractiveness. And so if there's a character who's heavy, um, they have to like lose weight and have a makeover right. in order to be, like suddenly be attractive at the end or whatever. Right. Um, and you know, so that's like also upsetting to me, and that that just gets played out over and over, and and or like to... eat shit and die, right? Totally, sometimes, right? Yeah. yeah. And I was even seeing this. I don't want to talk about media the whole time, but like in Amy Schumer recently, I love Amy Schumer in so many ways, but I am noticing that like some of her stuff around her body, which you know, I think a lot of it is really brave and interesting and feminist, but she is in a way also saying like. It's fucked up that the culture thinks I'm fat. Yeah. Because I'm actually not fat. Um, but if I was, like, that would be a problem. Or even, like, right. the f- or like making fun of herself for being somebody who eats food. Or kind of, like, calling attention to the ways in which her body are is imperfect. And in her HBO special, she did a lot of that. And at other times, she'd sort of talk about, like, she'd joke, right? Like, oh, I'm so beautiful. Like, you all love me so much. And the audience would go crazy. Mm. Because the truth is... They do love her so much, exactly yeah. the way she is. They do think she's super hot, exactly the way she is. She's they super don't want, hot. She's super hot. They don't want her to lose weight. Mm. Like, And she's kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to lose weight because I'm like a feminine, you know, whatever. But I'm like, yeah, but other people don't want you to lose weight because like, they think you look totally good. Right. Um, so that's another, you know, kind of challenge for me and way that it um, feels taboo. Like, what I like and have always liked feels really taboo is... Uh, the, you know, I'd say for me, like 50% of it is the psychology of somebody indulging themselves in the things that they most want to experience that are pleasurable for them. And the other 50% is the physical evidence of that. So I like when somebody actually acts a little drunk, Mm -hmm. like it's not enough for them to have just drank. Like they have to kind of, I don't want them shit faced from falling on the ground, but I want them to be like a little like, oh, um, I'm having a good time, and I definitely like the physical evidence of having eaten a little too much, too. Like, that is the body type I'm most attracted to. Um, it has been that way since I was a little kid, too. Like, which is really hard to explain or talk about in yeah. regular society to say, you know, if somebody says, like, oh, you know, that guy used to be really cute, but he's gained 20 pounds. And for me to be like, yeah, totally like him better now. <laughs> you <know? laughs> or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so So you like the evidence of people having indulged even if you are not the person who encouraged them to yeah. do so. I would say actually like for me, the the it has to originate with them. They have to want it bad. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com for themselves and then I'm kind of like a catalyst and they're like at the point where they're like maybe not and that's where you come in um or even like they've already started and I'm like yeah yeah keep going with that uh so I it's a really big thing um in the gay gainer community which is 
huge um, to have, like, there's, like, a phrase, which is totally my thing, too, which is the, like, well-fed, like, the ex-jock look, right? Mm. So you want the evidence that the guy does take care of himself, is physically healthy, does have some kind of, like, sense of, you know, not going down, like, not going to a place of just, um, some people are really into people who are, like, completely immobilized and not well, but um, there are a lot of people, especially, I'd say, gay guys, who are really into the look of, like, you totally used to be on the football team, but you, now you're not, and you have, like, the little belly, like, the nice, round, tight belly to prove it, and that's my jam. Is that kind of what they mean when they talk about the dad bod? It's a kind of dad bod. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true, and, it, you know, there's a huge thing in the um, tabloids, too, about that, right? Like the, About dad the, bod, the yeah. ripped honk Hollywood honk who's like let his body go a little bit or the like haughty woman who's like in the bikini but now you can see she's had a kid or like right. she's not in perfect shape anymore I love those pictures because I'm like oh yeah you had a good time on that vacation yeah you ate and drank what you wanted to like that's yeah. hotter that's so much hotter to me than like you've just been at the gym I do really love the idea that your fetish is kind of about defying repression. <laughs> yeah. Or like or like puritanism. Mm-hmm. But it manifests in these two very specific ways of of eating and drinking. Yeah, it does, but I would say it's about all of that. Like I think um it's about ge- ge- I mean really it's about like sex positivity. It's about generally letting yourself uh, be into what you're into and like mm. aroused by what you're aroused by or whatever so it is also really hot to me to hear somebody say um, you know I think those people over there are super sexy and I want to fuck them right right um, so admission of that kind of desire it's admission of desire really right yeah, yeah. Um, total admission of uh, hedonistic desire in the face of societal repression yeah so what I want to do is go through the seven deadly sins, mm-hmm. and... I, I can masturbate to definitions of the seven deadly sins as a kid, too, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> what about the movie Seven? No. No, that's, that's, that, that's like, about punishment, um, and not good punishment. Um, uh, but the movie Seven is the only reason that I can remember what the seven deadly sins are. Um, so we've So we've kind of got... The manif- the fetish manifestation of gluttony. Absolutely. Um, and the fetish manifestation of lust in this infrastructure that we're talking about is really kind of about... It might, for other people, uh, manifest as cuckolding, right? So when, like, a, a couple are both turned on by the idea of one or the other couple sleeping with someone else and kind of like to some degree or another rubbing their face in or yeah yeah yeah, maybe humiliating them um but also just yeah lording it over them exactly um but then that might also be it might also manifest in something that is maybe not quite that like triangulated uh humiliation it might just kind of be like like swinging like we were talking about with Cooper Beckett last month, uh, last episode uh, about, like, enjoying, like, giving your partner permission to 
fuck this other person. And it's also about just um, naked desire in that way. So another cartoon that I loved as a kid, thanks to cartoons, right, is um, <laughs> all the Tex Avery cartoons where the wolf is watching the burlesque showgirl and his tongue falls yes. on the floor and, and his, his eyes and this steam comes out yeah, of his ears. That was so hot to me because I was like, oh, he is out of control with lust. So just manifestations of being out of control with lust for somebody else, like whether or not you even act on it or you encourage someone to do it is, is also hot So it's me. not necessarily for you about being the object of that lust. It's just about witnessing it. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. So, so, so that's, that's lust. And then, uh, so one that, uh, that we were talking about also, uh, it would be greed and, Obviously, being a greedy little piggy or a greedy little slut who's greedy for cock or greedy for orgasms and just can't get enough orgasms is, I think a lot of people can probably yep. wrap their minds around that. But another thing that it makes me think of is financial domination, yep. where part of what the idea of financial domination is in a way encouraging someone to spend extravagantly the point of financial domination is for them to be spending extravagantly on you on the top on the dominant on the enabler or encourager um I don't know that much about financial domination where someone's like, I want you to spend extravagantly on something that doesn't financially benefit me. Maybe that exists, but it's more like, take me out to this really fancy dinner, buy me the, take me shopping at the fanciest places and buy me whatever I want, or just straight up give me your credit card information. I want you to give me $500 cash right now. You're not even worthy of knowing why. Just just give it to me for right. nothing. So I do both of those from the bottom perspective, right? So as a service sub, uh, more like that's my psychology, I'm more into, um, for the first part of it, like saying, uh, like, oh, you know, you're so, um, like, do you want me to keep sucking your cock? Uh, you do? Oh, like, you're so greedy. I've been sucking your cock for an hour. Like, that kind of thing. Like, I'm in service to his pleasure, but um, I'm kind of, like, playing with that idea that he's being greedy, and I'm encouraging that. And similarly, like, I do enjoy a sort of, like, sugar daddy, like, being the beneficiary of that, of sort of being like, you're going to spend money extravagantly on me. I'm not asking you to do it. You're doing it because you want to do it. Right. Um, and if that's maybe not the best financial decision for you, but I'm just going to go with it, right? Or being like, yeah, totally, you should get that for me. Um, again, like just so like in the real world application of this right now, we're not in the financial, or I would say my partner, my primary partner is not in the financial position to do that. Mm. So we we talk about it a lot, but we don't actually play with that yet. Interesting. But his financial situation is going to change soon. And <laughs> we talk a lot about like, I will text him and just be like, can't wait for the sugar daddy thing. Can't wait. Like, can't. I'm so excited. But it's it's like a year out. And, um, yeah, I mean, sort of similarly with all of that stuff, like, we do – there are lines that we don't cross if it right. would genuinely be uh, not pleasurable because there would be real-life repercussion. But so – and one of right. the other um, – Seven Deadly Sins is Vice, and I would say all of this stuff is kind of like Vice. Oh, wait, which one is Vice? Vice is a is one of it's it's just like called Vice, right? I can't remember. I mean, Vice is sort of 
like just like a general term for sin. I'm trying to think of what is is that like avarice? It's avarice, maybe as is that does it mean? I mean, I have to we'll have to, have to look up the seven deadly sins. I can't remember what it is <laughs> right. in the movie. Yeah, I don't. Well, I don't remember the movie that well. But I would say, like, when I first, I can tell you also about like how I came to find this partner because it's related to all of this stuff. But um, the fact that he gambled was really hot to me. Gambling makes me personally want to throw up. Like, it's right. so nerve-wracking it. to yeah. me. It's terrifying. I don't get any pleasure from it myself, but somebody else doing it, again, like, if he really seemed like a gambling addict, which I do think is a real thing, right. uh, then that would be scary. But the fact that he just kind of liked it um, and the whole culture around it was really hot to me. We were at an event recently that had a cigar and, you know, boot-blacking night. One of my favorites. Yep. And he, uh, you know, Actual smoking cigarettes, again, terrifies me. Also, I don't really like anything about it at all. But he, he, if he smokes a cigar, like, I'm basically down on my knees in yeah. two seconds flat like a puddle. Like, I'm just like, ah! Like, it's so exciting to me. And I think um, it's kind of, inc- like, crazy to me, actually, what a response it generates for me. Beca- and I think it's because I am so opposed to cigarette smoking. Like, I really think it's yucky. I really think it's wrong. Um I want nothing to do with it. And so cigars yeah. come, like, right up to the edge of that. And for right. me to be like, oh, my God, you're smoking a cigar. <laughs> uh, and it really is, like, again, you know, it's a hardwired thing for me. I have no control over mm. it. My body responds before my mind does. I see him smoking a cigar. And, like, my whole body is just like, oh, oh crazy. Yeah, part of what I like about this fetish is that it is sort of a meta fetish of a lot of different yeah maybe seemingly unrelated like i know a lot of people who are cigar fetishists and have collections and have lots of gear and will you know do objectification play where someone is in somebody's Ash, mouth is yeah. an ashtray and um i um find all of that stuff really interesting i like cigars and i and i find them really fun and sexy and part of what is fun and sexy about them is that it takes a long time to smoke one and while that's happening the rest of the world melts away and that is like the definition of of sex yeah yeah totally it's leisurely i mean people smoke cigarettes kind of frantically right you know on a street corner over a garbage can like that's not hot i mean that is hot to some people i know um it's not hot to me but the whole like like the gesture of a cigar is so leisurely and powerful too like again as a kind of like service sub and all of this um, psychology to see somebody standing over me holding a cigar. I mean, it's so Tony Soprano too, right? Absolutely. It's like, oh God, like you are so powerful right now. Yeah, and it's um, it. I mean, it is an indulgence, and it's just it's almost it's it's hammy and yeah. and campy totally. And a lot of this stuff, yes, that I'm hearing from you is also kind of about theatrics. I mean, it makes me also think about some of my taste in, again, going back to to movies, but, like, a lot of my taste in culture is for things that are just, like, really, like, smack you in the face, Um, and it is fun to indulge in in those things. Um, But specifically what you're talking about is not even the the fun of indulging in them, but the power exchange with with somebody else to do so. Yeah. Um, Gambling is... An interesting one to me too, because 
I've never liked gambling. Part of that is my grandparents lived in Vegas, so mm. I kind of grew up around it, and mm-hmm. I was like... Yeah, it's icky. No. But also, I, 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 can, I feel like I can understand and empathize with most the appeal of most things, even if it's, like, not for me. Right. And I don't, I don't understand gambling, and I... In that way, it's interesting to me. <laughs> Anytime I can't figure something out, I'm like, what? It's so abstract. I also don't really like games, but we can... Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, in general. <laughs> so it, I guess it's kind of like the ultimate right. game. Yeah. But there's... It's like a void. Like, like gambling is like... There's nothing there. Right. So I guess in a way, it's... Maybe what people like about it is that just, like, the sheer human invention that people are agreeing to do something that is completely meaningless, and then the stakes become Right. Well, it's so risky high. Behavior. It's a kind of risky behavior, which is the only thing about it that is sort of hot to me. But, yeah. Well, you're going to be... There's so many risky things to I do know. that have... That more payoff. <laughs> and are, are... Anyway, anyway. So, yeah. but, but, you know, that's, that's interesting that... that um, so is it hot to you to imagine like, like hovering over somebody's shoulder while they're like sitting at a blackjack table and totally. being like, yeah, just do you know, just put yeah. another chip on the. T- I know it's so like don't know I, anything I, about gambling. Me neither. <laughs> so at um, the last event we attended, there was a like kinky casino event that Stefanos put on. That sounds right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they were looking for kind of people to staff it, and so they were looking for dealers. And my partner volunteered to be a blackjack dealer, which was itself hot to me. Um, and I volunteered to be a cocktail waitress, and Cute. so I got all dressed up. And my job, it was, like, literally my job was to serve drinks and, you know, come around to the tables to people who were gambling and, like, ask them if they wanted a drink and get them one from the bar. Um, And I could be flirty about it, but there was nothing, like, it was just really that was my job. And somebody else told me to do it. So it was, like, my task. And I wanted to do it well. And I am that kind of service sub. It was really one of the hottest things that I did at the event. And I did a lot of hot things at that event. Um, but I was so... I really went to, like, a kind of subspace with it. Where I was, like, teetering around on my heels, fetching drinks, asking people... You know, in my regular life, as men, is true for many subs, I am a totally powerful, opinionated, responsible, you know, woman with a ton of agency. Right. So my sub, you know, space is, like, the flip side of my real life. Absolutely. And, um... It really, like, let me go deep into that mindset. Like, I was a Playboy Club bunny, which is one of my big fantasies. I was just, like, cute and flirty and asking people if they wanted drinks and bringing them drinks while they gambled. I was, like, in heaven. Well, the social stratification of a place like that is so well drawn. Yes. And I was being objectified. Like, they were like, oh, come here, honey. Like, I need another right. drink. Like, you, you look really cute. Let me turn around. I was like, oh, God, I love this so much. Um, and, and I was doing a good job, like, helping right. them indulge their own pleasures, including right. me and my appearance, which is also really hot to me, like, being objectified in that way. Um, and everybody in that, because it's a kink space, everybody there is 
entering into it agreeing that that is going to be totally. the dynamic um, between everyone and obviously there is the opportunity to say yeah. you're actually going too far and objectifying nobody did. too much. Right. They were super respectful. So everybody is kind of playing in that They're in playing that the same game. Yeah. It yeah. was awesome. Like I served drinks to Lolita Wolf. Like he Fun. was like I like your outfit. And I was like oh. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, she loves that. Yeah. It was totally great. And I would say something that's sort of come to me recently is I'm um, I'm practicing with a new burlesque troupe that's starting up in my area, cool. and I've kind of like had this epiphany recently where I was like, oh, this is what I've wanted my whole life, like ever since I was a kid. Like I totally had um, fantasies of working in a strip club. You know, when I was uh, like, I thought about it. I, um, you know, and but I was like such a good girl and a feminist, and I was like, unless I can strip with the Leslie lady, I don't want to <laughs> strip. Like I know that I'm not gonna actually like that. Like let's be honest about this. Um, and I was like, and I want the theatrics, and I want like a pretty costume, and I want it to be to a good song. Like I don't want it to be like bad techno music. You know? <laughs> so now that I'm sort of starting to practice with this burlesque group, I was like, oh. I've wanted to do burlesque my whole life because you're right. in this theatrical space where everyone's totally respectful and encouraging and nice and, like, no one's going to touch you in a, play, a way that you don't want to be touched and you get to dress, wear whatever you want and it's a show. Right. You have this sort of distance and it's like, but you get to take all your clothes off if you want to or, like, almost all your clothes off right. and be appreciated. I was like, oh, yeah, like, this <laughs> this makes sense to me. Um yeah, so anyway, uh, that was, that like, that whole, the gambling, the casino environment was, like, really fantastic for me in a lot of ways. Um, and I do think it's about uh, how exotic that is to me because it's not what I want for myself. I would get no pleasure from sitting at a gambling table. I right. don't even get it. I actually don't even like to drink particularly. Like I'll have a drink if it tastes good. I've never been drunk in my life. My body seems wow. to metabolize alcohol in a way where I don't get drunk. But also I've never really tried. But you'd think for I was somebody, gonna say you could keep trying. I could keep trying. <laughs> but you'd think for somebody who rarely <clears throat> drinks that if I did have a few drinks, I'd get drunk. But the times that I have, I I feel a momentary physical response where I'm like, I'm a little unsteady on my feet. Nothing happens to me mentally, and it wow. passes in five minutes. Wow. It's weird. <laughs> so, um, so like, that part, I don't even, like, get what it's like to be drunk in the world. Um, and I don't have a desire to drink a lot. I don't like the feeling of having eaten too much. It's not pleasurable for me. Um, so, in some ways, I think a lot of this is about, like, how foreign it is, like how othered it is to right, think right. about the pleasure of getting off on these things. I'm a type A, uh, hyper responsible, anxious person. So any kind of overdoing it actually causes me a great deal of stress. Right. <laughs> so you're in a way kind of projecting that and you can like safe, you can safely indulge yes. in the fantasy of everyday indulgence by projecting it consensually onto someone else. Right, and by watching somebody else really do it for their own sake. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. That's the that's the key part. Okay, so there's jealousy, but jealousy doesn't seem like as fun of a one to indulge in. So, so we sort of play with that, I would say, in the kind of, um, like, I love it if my partner comes back from having played with somebody else, mm. and I'm like... You know, I've been sitting home alone or whatever. I've been at the event by myself for a couple hours because they're off fucking somebody else. Yeah. And then they come back and I, I'm like, 
Yeah, let's do let's let's mess around while you tell me what a good time you had with somebody else. I see, there it is, there it is. Yeah, which isn't the same as cuckolding because I don't want to be humiliated about it. Right, but I just want to hear like you had a really good time with some other like really hot person. Wow, like that's also a kind of emotional edge play. Like there is a little part of me that's like, hey, but <laughs> that's like two percent. Ninety eight percent's like, oh my god, that's so high. <laughs> awesome. Okay, that checks out. Um, rage? I mean, I guess in the sense that I like some good dominant energy coming toward me. I like rough sex a lot. Right. I like um, being pinned down. I like being thrown up against a wall. Yeah. I like being smacked across the face sometimes. Uh, So that sense of being a little testosterone-y out of control is super hot to me, too. Oh, you're so smart. (laughs) I was like, what? But rage. No, but you're totally right, because uh, as somebody who who also enjoys that um, uh, as as a switch, um, too, like, I I enjoy both sides of it, but as um, a, a bottom in a rough sex scenario, what is hot about it is the sense that you know that that is a desire that someone has yeah. and you are saying it's okay do it do it yeah i want it it's about carnal appetites right it is so about carnal appetites. i would say yeah. like another thing that sometimes i call myself or i identify with is the primal right. sex community because yeah if i really feel like he's get like if he's growling or if she's like biting me because they like can't take how much they want it and they're right. like getting a little violent that's super hot like it's lust and it's also that kind of like edge of violence that's right you're like stripping away civilization totally stripping away society and also like why do we not indulge in these things why do we not grab our lever and shove her against the wall why do we not have another donut why do we not have another glass of wine why do we not fuck the, the like whoever we see when we're walking down the street because perhaps reasonably we yeah. understand that there will be consequences. Yeah. So in a way your fetish is not removing the consequence but removing the worry about the consequence. Yeah, or temporarily removing the consequence like or kind of like maintaining a space where the consequences are mitigated, right? right so I mean, right. you know, this stuff it can be really hard to scene with. Like I don't do a lot of pickup play cuz it's so much about the psychology of it. Right. Um although I'm not opposed to that. I'm really open to it if it like comes along, but um <laughs> But I would say, like, in my, you know, my primary sexual relationship, we, it's a 24-7 power exchange dynamic, and it's really about kind of, like, telling him, like, encouraging him to drink as much as he wants, and then when he gets to the point where I'm, like, where it's clear that he's, like, if he's going to have another drink, it's not going to be good. Right. And he's not going to feel good. I'm like, okay, let's, now we go home and here's a bottle of water. You know, like, I don't want you to feel like shit in the morning. I want you to feel really good because that's the fun part, right? Like, that's the part where we can really play with it. Um, Well, there's so much trust in that relationship. Yeah. Where he can let go because he knows that you're going to take care of him. It's really quite romantic. And I, you know, like, I make raw kale salads and, like, make (laughs) him drink, you know, beet juice and stuff like that. He never, I mean, he used to be, before we were together, 
he genuinely indulged in some unhealthy behavior, which was not good for him, you know, sexually and food and drink. Yeah. Um, And so a big part of our dynamic is about, like, how can he do these things in ways that are um, consensual with his partner and And sustainable uh, sustainable and also like super erotic to both of us and not stressful you know like he was in a relationship where um he did have sex with other people but it was cheating and that felt like shitty that felt shitty to everybody including him i mean when he came home he didn't feel good about himself obviously um he wasn't like high on the fact that he cheated he needed to have sex with somebody and that wasn't happening in his relationship so sure but um you know, I have empathy for that, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a good thing all around. So it's, it's, I think it's really hot for him too, for me to be like, I totally want you to go fuck somebody else and come back and tell me about it. And I want, I want you, you know, as we walk down the street, I want you to tell me every time you see someone's ass that you like. Yeah. I want to hear about it. Yeah. (laughs) Is there any other like major note that you want to make sure that we hit before we... I was just, no, I want to hear your questions, but I was just thinking about, um, I can, I can, if you want, tell, like, just the brief story of, like, how I came to find my partner and um, how it's related to this. And, like, that I think part of it, too, is about how I was always really, like, as a feminist, like, attracted to people who, uh, you know, that I think it's, it's even more exotic to me to be with somebody who sort of has these, like big appetites and bad behaviors because I tried it. I mostly steered clear of that as a feminist. Like I didn't want a partner who just like drank too much, like ate a lot of meat and like watched sports. Cause I was like, (laughs) but to find somebody who had that and like this other side, you know, where they totally got who I am and had the same kind of politics was like, Oh, now we can play, you know, anyway. Cool. Yeah. Um, well let's definitely talk about that. Um, Okay. Lust, greed, um, rage, envy. Do we talk about pride? We didn't talk about pride. Can you can you think of a, a well, fantasy or manifestation of pride? We did, in a way, because one of the things I said about the Templeton scene is that he's so proud of himself, right? Right. So that is definitely part of it. Like, there, again, in the gainer community, there are a lot of people who, um, for whom somebody's saying, like, being humiliated or ashamed of how much they just ate is a big part of it. Like, they want the person to be like, I know, I didn't, you know, I didn't do that bad thing or, like, I did and I feel horrible about it or whatever. Um, but for me, I really want somebody who's like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, yeah, I smoked that cigar. Yeah, I, like, ate that donut, whatever it is. And just being like, um, yeah, I fucked of, you. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. you sucked my dick. That's yeah. right. I love that. Or even actually another thing that's, that's coming to mind is also worship, Mm -hmm. like telling someone that they are beautiful, telling someone that they look beautiful, telling someone that a certain part of their body is so sexy. Um, and in, to the degree that worship is a a service. Totally. So I don't, I totally do that. I completely do a lot of like body worship, specifically a lot of belly worship and, and, and and cock worship too. Um, they're right next to each other. So so, (laughs) sometimes I wonder about that in terms of like, cause you know, one of the theories around, uh, the way our brains work for those of us who are hardwired fetishists is that literally like some wires crossed, Mm. like some synapses. And, you know, some people theorize that like foot fetishists 
got our foot fetishes because like, well, if you just travel up the leg a little bit, like there's all your junk. Right. Um, and so I sometimes wonder about that with the belly. I'm like, it's so close. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's all the other good things. Or, But um, also, I mean, um, you know, I mean, a foot is also a phallus. Yes, um, right. And a belly is kind of, I mean, it. it's like in terms of the the curve of it, like a nice belly is like a nice ass or a nice totally. pair of tits. Oof. Just like something that you just want to touch and manipulate so and put your face up against. Oh my god, yeah. And it's power to me too, right? In a lot of cultures, like the, the rich, powerful people were right. the people with bellies because they had enough money to eat and That's feed themselves. Right. It's also pregnant women, like mother, right. like earth mother kind of thing. So for all those reasons, I think bellies can really convey... Um, fertility and power and taking and up space. indulgence and all that kind of good stuff for sure and then also I would say on the other side of pride is like I like the kind of arm candy role right like I like, like he, right. he tells me if I walk you know if I go to the bathroom or at a restaurant and like walk back and he watches me walk back and he's like you know, other people were turning around to look at you when you walked back to the table. I'm so proud of how you look tonight. Like, that's really hot to me, too. Cool. Yeah. Like, being an object that he's proud of owning. So we did lust. I haven't said lust yet, right? We said we did lust. But I. But in this oh, list, right, now okay. I've lost track of my list. <laughs> and then... I feel like I need to um, look up the Seven Deadly Sins. Do you think that's Oh, God. Now I have to do it again. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, and I straight up am thinking of the gruesome murders of, um, uh, no, it's, it's, I, I love that movie. That's, I mean, speaking of over the top things that, um, are fun to indulge in, um, that kind of psychological horror is like exactly that for me. It was good. Okay. Gluttony, pride, greed, lust, rage, envy, <laughs> yep, okay, here we go. Where is it? Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth. Oh my sloth. god, totally. Oh. So like so like just stay in bed, babe. Oh my god, oversleeping is really hot to me. Oh my god. I <laughs> Yeah. I mean, me too, babe. <laughs> me but, too. like, I don't do it. I hate oversleeping. I will. That I, makes like, complete sense up. in the type A. Yeah. I, I feel like I've missed something. I feel, like, horrible about myself. I, you know, unless we stay out till three in the morning, it's really hard for me to stay in bed past nine, you know, ever. And usually I'm out by seven. And the fact that he sometimes wants to sleep till noon, I'm like... Oh yeah, you just you stay there. Um, that, so, yeah. so you're also this is another example of you sort of living vicariously through the person that you're encouraging to indulge. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. I mean, really, for myself, I don't want to do it, but I think it's really hot that he does. Yeah. Right? So um, yeah, or even I would say, you know, the kind of body worship that we're talking about involves a level like he just lies there, right? <laughs> Um, and that goes back to your fantasy of the the um, uh, the feeding someone grapes and bonbons totally. and the like Cleopatra yes emperor yes Empress being monarch. served in yeah. that way like you're just passively lying back and letting yourself be pleasured um, 
Well, and, and you're not doing anything. Like, you're not lifting a finger. Yeah. That's really hot to me, for sure. Okay, I think we nailed all of all them. All seven deadly sins. Turns out that's my fetish. So, <laughs> so Now we have a name for it. I'm so relieved. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I want to sort of create more of a taxonomy of it because I, I feel like there's so many things that you've said that resonate with me and make me think of people that I know. And think that maybe people don't quite know how to talk about it yet. Absolutely. Yes. And can we make a something new series under on the, the seven deadly sins that really gets you into know, the fetish James, stuff? James Dean. <laughs> I've heard about this. Did it? I haven't watched them at but all. But I feel like so when I've seen, I haven't watched them all either, and I did hear about that. But I feel like when when mainstream kind of porn does that sort of thing, like if they do gluttony, they're going to do like I'm licking chocolate off your body. Right. Like they're not going to actually do overindulgence in right. quite that way, right? Um, so yeah, I want the like the super kink version where they really go for it. <laughs> and it would be great to have a framing device of a figure like you who is in setting up these scenarios because then they just want to like lay back and watch. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we just whoever wants to finance this, yes. just let, let us, us know. know. <laughs> um, it's in development. Yeah. Um, uh, so something that I wanted to bring up is: Do you listen to the Savage Love Cast? Um, not so much. A little bit. Okay. Uh, I definitely know his his. Uh, one thing I'll say is actually he got a letter from a female feeder. Uh, you know, early on, like yeah. obviously before the podcast, and it was one of the only uh, f- straight, or you know, I'm not straight, but like like uh, female feeders who was talking about men um, that I'd ever seen mm. in the media. It's there's there's hardly any. Yeah, um, there's an amazing uh, queer writer named Sarah Galvin who's out in Seattle now, who is a female feeder, and she writes about it beautifully. But she's totally queer. Um, so I was so excited to see this letter, and Dan Savage was like, "This is a hoax." He literally said, wow. you're not real. This doesn't exist. Um, and How long I don't, ago was that? It was a long time ago, but... I feel like he, he doesn't say things like that anymore. Known better. And yeah. that really was like kind of, you know, there's a few reasons why Dan Savage is a little problematic for me. But anyway, he's done great work. But that was really like, hey, really? Because <laughs> <laughs> now oh. I feel like what he always says is like... I, I've been doing this for 20 years, and if you can think about it, somebody is into it. But yeah. but, but anyway, um, uh, there was a, a call, one of the most interesting calls that I've heard on there in a long time was this woman who called in to say that she was so... She was really into being a bad wife and it was funny because the way the the call was some of the calls are obviously like masturbation sessions for people like not like they're literally I'm sure they get a lot of wankers but not that they're necessarily wanking but that somebody who and this is something as a, as a sex worker I'm very familiar with that sometimes the excitement of just anonymously or so you think sharing this, airing your this yeah, yeah airing your dirty laundry is you can just hear it people's right. <laughs> but so and she also just kept using her buzzword it was so obvious that you know she was like I'm a bad wife I really like uh, going on spending sprees and putting charging things to the credit card that we can't afford and I really like um, 
uh, uh, drunk driving. Like, she'll go out to the bar and have too many drinks and then drive home. And she, I can't remember if she said that she actually cheated, but she liked thinking about cheating and and all of these things. And it was such a fascinating call because it was somebody who wasn't like, like, you have sort of recognized this interest and found outlets for it. I'm sure that there have been, you know, there's been a, a long like learning curve of figuring out like how, how to indulge your indulgence fetish. <laughs> right, yes. um, but this woman was at a point of, in a way, deep self-awareness yep. and at the same time, complete self-delusion. And um, I can't even remember what his advice was, but you know, when I was listening to it, I'm always thinking like, what would I say to someone sure. if they were, uh, if this person was coming to me and um, really just like so many other things, it, it's it's like polyamory and cheating. It's like people think that the only way that they can indulge this fantasy or indulge this desire is to be deceptive and to um, exploit someone, to do it unconsensually. Um, and this woman clearly was not aware of the fact that if she had the opportunity to... That she does have the opportunity to turn to her partner and say, I would really like to play this game. Yeah let's play this game and let's talk about the stakes and let's talk about what is too much. But instead she just like is caught up in this, you know, in my opinion, like not very healthy cycle and doing things that are, you know, it's one thing to like turn to the credit card too much, but she's endangering herself and others by drunk driving, for example. Right. Right. Whereas there might be an outlet for that same impulse. Yeah. That would not be as directly, dangerous to herself and And others. And there's even, like, the thing called hot wife, which I could totally, you know, like, that's a whole fetish and a role. And so you could, like, take your wife to the bar and not drink yourself, and she could get totally wasted and fuck some stranger in the bathroom. Right. And take off her clothes. Or just flirt with everybody all over the place. Right, whatever. And you could just be sitting there and, like, drive her home safely afterwards and just be like, you are such a bad girl. Yeah. That could totally work. Right. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, but I would say, you know... And part of why this gets into, like, interesting emotional edge play territory for me is because it sounds also like maybe part of what's hot to her is the deception. Which it sounded like she maybe... she I think she talked about being <coughs> in a very strict Christian community, uh-huh. and so it sounded to me like this was, like, her psyche finding this way of having agency and right. uh, and yes. asserting herself and having control. Yeah, so that's genuinely, like, really messy, problematic stuff that can't that could potentially be translated into, like, a healthy kink dynamic, but isn't there yet, for sure. No, no. Yeah, and I would say that, like, when I watch depictions of, like, genuinely out-of-control behavior, like, we watched Big Love, and when, you know, the Nikki character has a spending problem. Right, right. She really does have a spending problem, and those scenes make me, like, worse than watching a serial killer thing or anything. Like, if I watch somebody, you know, on Home Shopping Network, like, (laughs) running up their credit cards in a way that they can't afford and they've got, like, kids at home, I'm just like, I have to turn it off! It's, like, so anxiety-producing for me. So, there definitely is something about the the fact that it it does alarm me to such an extent to see people... um, you know, genuinely addictive behavior is alarming to me. Right. Um, genuinely codependent relation behavior is really alarming to me. All of that stuff. So being able to come, like, right up to the edge of that, I think, is what feels so, like, sticky and exciting about it. So how did you come to 
sort of feel like secure and fully realized in this identity and this fetish? Um, I mean, part of it is really, uh, uh, I would say that like, uh, because it's been with me for so long and I just, for whatever reasons, was a really like sexually self-aware kid. Like I knew that I had these things. I knew how to explore them. Um, you know, even from the time I was in middle school, I would say I was like seeking out the things that would work for me as erotica, which Mm. were not everybody else's erotica because I was a fetishist. Um, so there's actually like a scene in uh, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn mm-hmm. where the dad is an actually an alcoholic and yeah. um, he's trying to go cold turkey and he's like locked in a room like his wife locks him in a room like to and doesn't you know and says like you have to just get, you know um, get clean get clean and he's having a horrible time of it because yeah. he's really drunk and her sister who is also uh, described as this like really hot kind of slutty oh, I neighborhood this like chunk girl about. and like really voluptuous with great boobs and everything like slips into the room with a flask between her boobs like so hot um, and is kind of like just weaning like helping wean him off and she is trying to help him get clean but she's also like knows that it would be better to do that more like gradually that's fascinating and that scene I was like that's a fascinating I totally example got off to that scene so um Anyway, I would say, like, from the time I was very, very young, I was already kind of, like, processing this and kind of trying to figure it out and thinking about why, too. Like, really trying to think about the psychology of it. Um, And by the time I was, you know, 18 or 19 years old um, and the internet happened, (laughs) because that happened, like, right around that time. Um, So, you know, Usenet and alt.sex and things like that, I was like, and, you know, I'm an academic, and I am by nature a researcher, so I kind of knew how to do my research. I really did a lot of homework. Um, But I didn't have an outlet for it in real life until um, I met my partner originally in my 20s, and then, you know, which was a brief kind of uh, relationship, and then um, haven't really gotten to explore it so deeply in action until we got back together three years ago. So my whole life, it's like been in my head, which I know is another thing a lot of like hardwired fetishists talk about. Like they are obsessed with spanking, but they have never had, like maybe they never will even have a partner yeah. they can spank, but it never leaves them. Like it's just with you all the time. Yeah. But like what an amazing relief and like how much deeper you can go if you have a partner who, um, you know, is a good match for you in these ways and who gets it and who goes there with you. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good advice for anyone. Yeah. Um, I want to just keep going deeper and deeper and uh, talking about movies and, and everything all day, but um, I want you to enjoy your day in New York. So um, so let's put a pin in it. Um, but And we talked about your... Um, uh, all your shameless plugging where people can find you. Is there anything else that you felt like we didn't talk about that you wanted to make sure that you No, you I'm really, there? you know, and as soon as I saw your podcast come into existence, um, 
the question, why are people into that? Like, that is my question. You know, like, that's my, <laughs> that's my thing. Like, I just want to know why everybody is into all their things. Because I think for my whole life, I've been thinking about why am I into these things that I'm into. Right. Um, so I was just so, I've been so excited to listen to every single episode and so excited to be on the show. Thank you so much for having oh me. Oh my God. Thank <laughs> you for having me. And thank you for having me on your, on your series. And I can't wait to read it for a year. Yeah. Your essay is going to kick ass in November so exciting yeah actually the timing really works out that my essay is going to come out on your series in November and your episode I'm pretty sure is going to come out on, on the show in November so perfect um, fantastic well it's really nice to meet you thanks for being on the show thank you thanks for tuning in to episode 31 follow at Tina Horns S and at into that podcast on Twitter subscribe and write us a review if you would be so kind on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And visit whyarepeopleintothat.com to subscribe to our newsletter and listen to our entire archive, which is almost two years old. As always, Why Are People Into That is produced and hosted by yours truly, Tina Horn. Our theme song is by Pine from Oakland, California. Our website was designed by Justin Levesque, and we are exclusively sponsored by Smitten Kitten. Until next time, I'll be doing everything in moderation, including moderation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.